Hello and welcome to the second hour of Barbarian in the Valley on WMUA Amherst. Oh, that last hour, I'm not sure. What was that? Why did that happen? Who allowed it? Not me. We are in the crystal ship, folks, and we are hovering over the Connecticut Valley. If you go to your window and stick your head out the window, you will see us. There's three of us in it, and we'll be moving around the valley. Such a beautiful day. Today, Liz Solomon and Robin Cody will be joining the BIQ, that's me, the barbarian in question, to talk about cultures of trust. Trust, folks. It was interesting, those promos that we just heard leading into the show, they were about trust, right? So much is about trust. You can't build without it. You cannot build anything without some trust. Now, on that note, I trust that you will call in on this show. I don't want to have to do what I did last time, which was call Waylon. I don't want to talk to him. I'm done with him for a while. He's off to camp. I don't care about him and his stupid orange van. So I don't want to have to call him, but I will if I have to. Now, I'm counting on you to call in. We're interested in, as the conversation unfolds, perhaps what kind of environment allows you to trust, particularly in the workspace. What, what kind of things have you experienced in the workspace that allows you to trust? And so our phone number is 413-545-3691. Now, my wife, she would say, you cannot trust people to remember that if you say it once. You have to say it three times. Now, how she knows that about you is weird. You might be out there being like, wait a second. All I need is to hear a number once, and I got it. Doesn't mean I'm going to call, but I understand it. But you can talk, you can call up and, you know, maybe ask her why she doesn't trust the listening public here in the Connecticut Valley. And, you know, I just trust my wife. I trust my wife, and I also trust this is the right thing to do. If I don't do what she thinks I should do, then our trust is going to go down. That's lo- There's some loyalty involved. So, 413-545-3691. 413-545-3691. Autumn is clearly in the air, right? Can you feel it? Can you feel the cool wind? Last night, did you feel the cool wind coming in? And that realization is sinking in. My young kids everywhere, they realize it. They feel it in their bones. Schools around the corner. You know, and there's some trepidation there, but there's always excitement. I was always excited to go back to school, too. You know, who was going to be in my class and what clothes I was going to get. And I'm already back on that. And as a teacher, I'm making resolutions because teachers don't make resolutions on New Year's Day. They make it right before school begins. So my resolutions are being crafted as we speak, like ironing my clothes. That's my resolution for this year. And I know any student listening will be like, "Uh uh-huh, it's a good idea, Cody. Iron your clothes. So let's see if I stick to it. I'm accountable now because the listening public has heard it. Now, we'll be back in just a minute with Robin Cody and Liz Solomon. Have a little enjoyment of our theme song by Diodato, Thus thus, Also, excuse me, Also Sprock Zarathustra. We'll be right back.
All right, and we're coming back into the Crystal Ship, back here at WMUA Amherst. It's such a beautiful studio. It's such a privilege to be part of this radio station. It's just a joy. It's brought a lot of structure to my life, and it keeps me humming. I'd like to uh, welcome Robin Cody and Liz Solomon to the Crystal Ship. Hi, guys. How are you doing? Hi. Good. Good, good. So, um, can you uh, introduce yourself first, Liz? Sure. Um, Thanks for having me here. My name is Liz Solomon. Um, I am a Valley native, and I work at the intersection of corporate culture, storytelling, and leadership development. I think the quickest way to sum that up is to say that I help businesses and entrepreneurs um, align what they say and what they do. Great. And so that has a, a trust. A lot of trust is involved in what you do and building trust. Absolutely. Robin? Well... I'm Robin Cody, and I work in a similar arena as Liz, um, focusing really on uh, habits, um, how to uh, dismantle old habits and create new ones. That's great. Okay, now, folks, if you've been following our website, barbarianinthevalley.com, you'll know that, generally speaking, we'll have a reading uh, for our second hour. And we try to get that up by Wednesday or Thursday. It's not always the best reading. I've heard complaints from, from guests and population alike. But it allows us a kind of backbone to bounce off of and discuss. And I actually think in some ways, the reading that we have this week is kind of ideal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue that this is actually a kind of ideal reading. Because I had major trust issues with this article. Okay? <laughs> like, I find myself having huge trust issues with Paul Zak. A little bit. I don't want to deride it too much, but I'm actually wondering, Liz, if you could walk us through just briefly this article. It's in the Harvard Business Review, so it's we trust that it's Harvard. That must be a serious, serious endeavor. Mm-hmm. It's called the Neuroscience of Trust. That's a that's a hot name, right? Totally. Very, very kind of catchy name. Neuroscience of Trust. Neuroscience is such a cool new field. Liz, what is the article about? Can you walk us through it briefly? Sure. And I just want to say, I just uh, uh, Paul Zak uh, defines himself as an American neuroeconomist. Ah, new so field. Just a, yeah, interesting cool. title. Yep. Um, so, yeah, the article kind of uh, opens up by stating the case that um, organizations where there is high trust um, achieve greater organizational performance, uh, both in ter- internally in terms of culture, but also externally uh, in the market. And what Paul Zak did is he was trying to answer this fundamental question of why do two people trust each other in the first place? And what he found was that oxytocin, the uh, sort of happy chemical, one of the happy chemicals released in the brain, is what causes trust. So when we have higher levels of oxytocin, we are more inclined to trust others. Um, He also found that oxytocin increases empathy. And so that sort of starts to get at this relationship between um, empathy and trust. Then what he did is he traveled all around to test this theory. He found that the relationship between oxytocin and trust is universal um, insofar as that exists in in cultures around the world. And then he came up with these eight management behaviors that foster trust. And so these are to uh, recognize excellence, introduce a challenging stress or so, sort of... So do you want to just summarize a little bit what you... Sure. Recognize excellence is basically um, recognition. 
So yeah. I look to you and I say, I see what you did. Great, Great job, job doing it. Yep. Here's your positive reinforcement. Well, hopefully with more spirit than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm recognizing your excellence right now. Okay. Do you see me recognizing your excellence? All right. Now go back to work. Um, because it, that does run the risk that that could end up being the way it sounds. But yes, keep going. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and just a side note, Liz, we actually had a conversation, was it two weeks ago, about a hustle and mm-hmm. how recognition can actually work against hustle. But that's for the archives, if you want to go back and listen to that article, because mm-hmm. we talked about how actually recognition can be a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. You recognize somebody, it doesn't always uh, foster more behavior like that. Sometimes people get guarded, sometimes people feel called out. I think we need to make the distinction between recognition and praise. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Awards. We were talking about awards, And right? we were talking about awards. And so, you know, this idea of recognition, which I do kind of want to pause here, is really important because one of the first moments of recognition happens between a mother and their infant, and it happens in this gaze. So if you ever noticed when a child enters the world, usually newborns have this, like, piercing gaze, you know? And um, this gaze releases oxytocin, especially between the mother and the child. Mm -hmm. Uh, The mother and the child during nursing sessions will be uh, fixated on this gaze. So there is a biological um, result here. So I just, there is something there, recognition Mm. and and seeing, literally seeing Mm -hmm. somebody that uh, promotes trust. I have to say, that's cool that you mentioned that. And I'll get right to you, Liz. Because as a teacher, some of my best recognition moments were without words. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. also, as a student, I've got that. And as a son, you know, there's a look that you can give somebody that shows that you really, you don't have to say it. And mm-hmm. it's very powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, or an understanding that you have between someone where mm-hmm. words aren't used can be really powerful. Mm-hmm. Liz? Uh, I was just going to say that I think a little bit of the sort of uh, flat tone in my voice before, too, is because as someone who's studied a lot of corporate culture, I acknowledge the ways that recognition is often um, comes across as praise or awards or and it's so centered around achievement, uh, results, sales, money, etc. And this is kind of like the common way I think that we see it in a lot of organizations. Uh, but really, it is it is about actually like being seen. Being seen, absolutely. And seeing others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which requires much more presence and, and much more pause. Well, and put that way, an award can make you feel very unseen, actually, mm-hmm. depending on what it is. Okay. So, yeah, what are the other ways? I, can I just stop here for a second? These things that he, I'm not sure. Do we really want to go through all eight of these? Why don't I just list okay. them? I think if we sure. stop to talk about them for a while, we might we might get yep. get a little lost. So okay. the next one is um, so he talks about recognizing excellence, which we just unpacked. Um, ch- inducing, introducing challenging stress, which I sort of you can think of this as um, providing people with with stretch goals, so something that is um, both a bit of a challenge but also attainable enough. Uh, giving people discretion in how they do their work. Enabling job crafting. So this is that um, not just how they do their work, but the work that they're actually doing. What is your title? What is your role? Sharing information broadly. This is a way to increase trust. Which is, you know, being very transparent about strategies, about goals, about objectives that, you know, the higher, 
the, the decision makers have and, and letting everyone on, on board. That's something that's really, you know, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about in our work, which is really creating organizational alignment, creating a North Star. Mm-hmm. So that's just what that means. Yep. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. That's um, a good one. And I would I say also, you know, sharing sharing financial information is really a huge uh, way to garner trust in an organization. Sharing mm-hmm. salaries, making, making things as transparent as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, intentionally building relationships. I think this sort of gets at this piece we were talking about with recognizing excellence, um, like what is perfunctory versus what is meaningful. So he talks about this in terms of really carving out meaningful relationships. Um, Facilitating whole person growth. As opposed to just work skills. Yeah, as opposed to just work skills. That's very... For, 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 for anybody in order to stay uh, interested and engaged, they need to feel like they're growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think this starts to touch into um, you know, work-life balance a little bit and having like a respect for the, for the whole person who they are outside of work. And the last is to show vulnerability. Okay, okay. So th- that's good. I mean, can I just kind of like attack the article now? Yes. That's what I kind of wanted to do. Yes. I don't think any of us love this article. Am I wrong? Well, actually, I'm starting to like it better when we well, slow down. But anyway. When we slow down. Okay, here's the, here's the way I see the article. First of all, the oxytocin thing, that's very hip too. But whatever. It's a real thing. I accept that. But the whole thing, he's like drawing blood out of people and then testing the blood. And then, like, it's kind of creepy, the, the way he's testing the oxytocin levels. Well, that's where hormones levels. are released, honey, is in the blood. I know. I know there's something, there's, okay, I'm just, listen, you guys are more the experts, I'm more the layman. So you have to listen to my inherent distrust of the whole operation okay, a little I'm bit. Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, it's okay, but it, I get it. This scientific approach to trust, there is something a little bit counterintuitive here. Mm. Now, I'm the one who chose the article, you know, and I thought mm-hmm. the title sounded really cool, Neuroscience of Trust. But there is, a, there feels like there could be an oxymoron there. Um, but, okay, I accept that. He also talks about going around the world. I don't know how he man- managed that. Like, he must have some pretty, he must be a pretty good grant writer. Ended up in Papua New Guinea, which we're still trying to figure out how that happened. Um, and then what I feel like... <laughs> I, I mean, we should almost read that. Like, I don't, it seems like everyone ends up in Papua New Guinea, no matter what they're testing. So I don't know if that's an economy over there or what. And then it seems like he copy and paste these things at the end on how to create oxytocin. So uh, we're going to get to Eric Erickson in a minute, but I would like, if it's okay, I'm going to challenge you guys because I have been the recipient of a lot of professional development as a high school teacher, as a public school teacher. It's required. Like, they have to come up with it. They can't not do it. And so I have been given so many acronyms and so many different plans on this kind of stuff that I have a built-up sediment against feeling manipulated. So my question to you guys is, how do you do this for an organization? How do you instill trust in an organization that's really long-lasting and doesn't make the people feel manipulated in the process? Because this article... You know, it's like kind of creepy the way he's... I get he's drawing blood, he's texting... Uh, the whole thing is like, yeah, 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 ex- oxytocin. You didn't have to travel the world to figure that out. How much blood did you take for this article? It's disturbing. Um, so do you see what I'm saying? Like, that's what I can... I think that's the role I can play here is be like, eh, I'm not sure, guys. So tell me how you do it. 
Can I ask you a question? Sure. Um, who determines what professional development you receive and who, who establishes the goals uh, that you're trying to meet through that professional development? Well, I think the principal usually does. And I actually have to say, mm-hmm. I usually think that the... Well, sometimes it's the state. Okay, sometimes the state says, everybody's got to learn how to do this now, mm-hmm. right? Ma- mm-hmm. By Massachusetts State, Department of Education, everyone's going to learn how to differentiate this year. So part of it's above the principal. When it comes to culture... It tends to be the principal. And I often find that the principal is right in identifying the, what we need to work on, but not always the right professional development for mm-hmm. it. I often feel like I'm in the fourth grade during these professional development things. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this level of like, okay, take a piece of paper, fold it in half, mm-hmm. then fold that in half. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now unfold it. <laughs> and now you have four squares. And it's like... They're doing a leadership... eight years old. They're okay. doing a little leadership development thing out in the hallway right here. And what I noticed immediately when I walked by is tables of art supplies. And I had a similarly uh, okay. skeptical thought when I walked right. by and, it. So and don't give that. me Skittles. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Like, first of all, I don't need any more Skittles in this lifetime. <laughs> and secondly... I'm not like, a child. I'm not a child. Yeah. Like, I get uh, yeah. it. You're trying to make this happen and fun but respect my age and respect my motivation so the principal usually decides it on a cultural level Mm -hmm. in terms of curriculum it comes from higher up it's Mm -hmm. it's out of their hands so robin i just do my okay um uh, two things just i thought of one is that you know my mother was a public school teacher too so she taught english high school english for 20 something years and upon retiring, the first thing she said was, oh, God, I'm so excited not to be in an organization where every single year you need to learn or adapt to something new, right? So I think this gets at part of what creates trust is consistency, is is following through. And so correct me if I'm wrong, this is totally your domain, but um, I would imagine that if I were working in an organization and every six months to a year, they came along and said, forget about everything that you just learned last year and now we're going to do this new thing this year and I was being asked to constantly um, adapt in, in that way without being able to really gain traction on anything, that would deeply erode trust. Yeah. So I think that's that's part of um, what you're getting at. But I also think, and in, in one thing Robin and I talk a lot about is how do, you know, and we do work with helping organizations uh, establish and articulate their, their values and their vision, um, but how do leaders do that? How do leaders listen first in order to do that? So, and this is why I asked, like, are you setting the goals that your professional development is based on? Mm. Are they saying, hey, Norm, like, what do you want to get better at? Where are you? Where do you want to go? What do you want to learn? And now we're going to offer you a series of things to be able to get there. Or do they say, hey, Norm, this is what's happening. Get with the program or don't. Yeah, well, I think that's it's a combination. And I think to their credit, often it is... If when it comes to the culture of the school or how we manage our own time, I actually think the administration makes an attempt to query the staff, and they often do. And we had, for a while, we had professional development that was teachers teaching teachers in mm-hmm. the school. Well, that was very successful. So if I wanted mm-hmm. to learn about uh, you know, simulations or something, I could go to this teacher, and they would have a little PD in their room about, oh, this is how I do this. Mm-hmm. And so that was good. And I also agree with you about follow-through. So my last principle, uh, I'll say that one program that we did that I thought was excellent, although it met with a lot of resistance, was something called Learning Together, I Mm -hmm. think. And it's in the Valley. And 
I actually trained with the principal and a couple other teachers. We took some days and then we brought it back to the school. And it was, I have to say, I, I kind of watched my principal grapple with implementing it mm-hmm. because there were a few teachers who were really uncomfortable with it. They did not want to do it. And it was stuff like writing a poem about your childhood and sharing it with people on the table. Mm. Now, there's some people who are not going to like that. I, I understand that. But there was a lot of good that came out of it, too. I learned so much about people, uh, teachers in the building. Mm-hmm. So that principal had identified was creating a better adult culture in the school, mm-hmm. like an adult culture, not just the students. So to his credit, he invested in this and he did follow through and it had some traction. Now it's, it's gone. It's, it's not going to last forever. And I, people would complain and I'd be like, do you, some people have, were really resistant. And then there was the middle complainers, and I was like, "Do you really? Is this worse than doing watching a PowerPoint? Like, mm-hmm. I think we're, we have to do this. It's a faculty meeting. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is better than looking at a PowerPoint, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Am I wrong? So, well, this gets up what, this piece around vulnerability too, mm-hmm. which okay, is so like you know, do you, you can build culture through through getting to know. I mean, it's it's human connection, right? It's like mm-hmm. I now, as you share your story, as you share your poem about your childhood with yeah. me. I, my ability to um, understand you, to have empathy, to have compassion, to look you in the eyes, to connect deeply is increased. And therefore, I, I do, I trust you in a, in a different way. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, just that's such huge. a tall order for a culture where that's not been um, encouraged. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I can totally empathize with the people that really didn't want to write a poem about their childhood because, you know, the public school system, and we were just talking earlier about how it's sort of class, it's a, it's an old institution and a lot of its practices and principles were established, you know, decades ago. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we're living in a new world and, um so I, I think this this professional development piece and and the resistance that is met with it is a really it's a really important question and you know I loved how Liz just the first thing that she did when you po- when you posed the question you know how are you going to in your work handle this resistance and she just she asked you so wait who's who's deciding. See, I took that as avoidance, but... <laughs> oh, you took no, that question no, no, as no, avoidance? No, 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 not at all. <laughs> I'm just being snarky. I'm like one of those Jedis that just like re-asks <laughs> right. questions to These never have to provide an answer. not the you're looking for. Yeah. No, I get it. Um, let me ask you this quickly. Um, you're the principal of the high school. You really do want to see adult culture kind of bloom. You've spent all this money on this package. It's, you think, a pretty good, has some pretty good protocols in it. Maybe 30 or 40% of the teachers aren't giving you any trouble. 30% are rolling their eyes, 40% And there's 15% who seem to be like on the verge of a panic attack when you Mm -hmm. introduce this. What do you do? You know, because how do you affect change if you can't be like, listen, guys, I know this is really hard for you and you can step out of the room, but then are you, you know, that might feel weird to them too. But you, do you let the, it's not even 15%. I'll say it was about 5% of teachers were like, this is offensive to me. Yeah. I mean, an interesting, you know, in this article, he talks about um, initiating, or what is it, showing vulnerability. That, so the leader shows vulnerability. And I just had this image of the principal prote- potentially, you know, in the middle of assembly, thro- you know, literally opening up his hands and asking, okay, so what, what do we do now? You know, here's mm-hmm. a solution that I have brought forward. 
30% is okay with it, 30% are skeptical, mm-hmm. 30% less so, and maybe 5% are resistant. So how can we, as a, as a group now, organize around developing a solution? Now, this is a very, very difficult thing to do. So, and especially within that context where there's how many teachers? Mm-hmm. It's like 70 or 80 <coughs> So 70 or 80 people, but... But that would be, you know, that would be, I just yeah. had this idea. And th- go ahead, Liz. Uh, no, I just think it gets to this piece around follow through too, right? It's a very difficult thing to do, uh, I think, not because the act of standing up and asking for feedback is difficult, but because the act of following through is difficult for a lot of leaders. And so it's, if you have people say, well, this is what I need, this is what I need, this is what I need, who's compiling that data and who's actually taking action upon it? Um I, I do think, you know, I, I mean, you look at the scale of like, you know, X amount of people are early adopters, right? Like when a new technology or any sort yeah. of imminent change comes out, X amount of people are early adopters. Then you have like the second stage, then the third stage. Like, I was, don't think there would be any leader who would say, I tried to roll out a big change and 100% were on board. It's just like not going to happen. Um, and it's not going to happen that one time. But there is a sort of um, attitude of collaboration Mm -hmm. and you know of the segment of all those teachers you know 30% were just kind of game 30% needed maybe a little bit more convincing you know and whoever else was very resistant so so this is what Liz was talking about before we started rolling which is about these tiny acts of trust Mm. you know so in order to start to evolve an organization there has to be these tiny drips of um, initiation for uh, a more collaborative environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was interesting because I watched the principal grapple with this. I would go in the next day to his office and say, I thought that went well. You know, because I was one of the people in the small committee to do it. And I could tell him, he was like, oh, really? You know, like it was hard for him. Mm-hmm. It was not easy. He didn't, he probably was getting more negative feedback than positive feedback. And he wasn't necessarily trusting that it would work out either because mm-hmm. he had reason to feel like it wouldn't work out. And the vulnerability of a leader is so immense as well. Mm-hmm. So, I think it's interesting, you know, these programs, like these, these out-of-the-box, so to speak, like training programs or culture change programs, these, these acronyms that we get, right? There's just like so many of them. Um, and like we bring them to a system that is like a living, breathing organism, right? That is like uniquely its own thing, like its own mix of people. People are diverse. They are complex. They are dynamic. They are ever changing and evolving from even like second to second, right? And so I think there has to be this, um, like you introduce a system and then you sort of leave room for it not to be perfect for the group of people in every single way and for people to be able to say hey here's what's working and here's what's not working and how can we collectively adapt instead of trying to squeeze ourselves into a box I think that's where people get really frustrated I mean that's what I hear from you too it's like okay this is you know I don't want to just sit here with these acronyms and be like, oh, great, I'm going to do this thing that like actually feels like it might not fit me entirely. It may not align with my goals. Um, and it's not, it's not a total match. Right. So. Right. And I just have to say, just to play devil's advocate just a little bit, at the end of the article, he, he makes this statement 
this Paul guy, which he says the role of a, a leader is the first responsibility of a leader. Forgive me, is to establish the reality. The last thing that a leader should do is say thank you. And in between, a leader is to serve. But this idea of establishing the reality, I, I mean, first of all, I think it's a little oversimplified, but it's just, that was an interesting statement that a leader's responsibility is to establish mm -hmm. a reality and then to serve the people to be able to perform and inhabit that reality to the best of their ability and then to say thank you. So when you were talking about the principal really grappling with his own sense of confidence and with his own sense of trust that in fact, yes, this is what this organization needs, um, that's very important in this discussion because that is what is required when you introduce something new. It is, it is required for a leader to um, lead and to stay, to have a confidence and a steadiness um, that, that, that people can really trust because mm -hmm. he's, he sure. or she is going to... why invest in it if, if the leader's not going to... And I, to his credit, I felt like he did it. He did run it through its course. It's funny, you were talking about this and I'm remembering this moment as a tour guide that there was about 60 tour guides in this... The tour guide main office was an old porn theater on 8th Avenue and 47th Street. It had been converted from... So there were two movie theaters uh, on the top, and we were be being given this... We had just had this really bad strike, a really bad strike the fall before. It was really acrimonious. It was kind of awful. And the manager of the tour guides came in and was like... She was great, Eva Lee. And she talked like this, listen, guys, you know, she had this kind of real, like, Queen's accent. And she just was really honest. Mm. She was like, yes, I know you don't like this. Um, this is not ideal. You know, and she really just kind of, like, disarmed us by, by basically being like, let's just admit that this is not great. Mm -hmm. This contract's not great for you, I understand. And we have to move forward with it. But I think everyone felt like, okay, well, at least she's... At least she's seeing it the way it is. Mm -hmm. She's not being dishonest about it. Mm -hmm. Now, we're going to take a quick musical break, and then we'll come back in the studio, and we have plenty more to talk about. And also, I'm going to promote something for the first time on this show, so don't let me forget that. But we'll take a quick music break, and we'll be back in a minute, folks. <laughs> 